Can they hear me? Now they can. Well, that's what the yeah, count yeah, is. I know, I know, Mike. But, you know, it's, oh. I figured the first thing we should do is, like, confirm that things are working. Hi, everybody. My name's Aiden Mattis, and welcome back to the 29th episode of uh, the Lore Lodge official podcast, the Lore Cast, the Lore Lads Cast, whatever. The Lore it is. Pod, as I, we were considering calling it. Yeah, I've begun uh, calling you and I the Lore Lads. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think what that fits. Our... We could change the Aidens to the Lore Lads, but I kind of like the fact that it's the Aidens because mm-hmm. there are two Aidens. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Lore Lads opens it up to all sorts of other, you know, other stuff that we don't want to get into. Does um, it? Yeah, because what, what if we end up with people who are like, I want to be a Lore Lad, and then what? Do we like charge them money? I don't know. You know you know how it is? You, you know me? You feel? It's just, just saying. You know, Maybe the Lore Lads is the new highest tier on the Patreon. <laughs> could be. Could be, I don't know. Guardian of the Lore Masters archives. Is there going to be Lore Lodge lore? I feel like there should be. There should be. Eventually. Inevitably. (laughs) One day. Alright. But, if you are here, then you are here to hear about, if I can get my notes into the right order, uh, a smattering of missing 401 cases that we plan to dive into. But before that, I have a quick question for chat. Considering there's already 32 people here, I'm just curious, do Thursdays work better for you guys? Because if that's the case, we can move it to Thursdays instead of Mondays. But, you know, just keep it in mind. Uh, You don't have to answer right now. But anyway, go ahead. Miss the Sunday podcast. Wasn't working then. Can always go back to Sunday. Who knows? We'll figure it out. But... Yes, today you're stopping by to hear about some missing 411 cases, and uh, this is kind of what our bread and butter was when we started the show, uh, before we started to branch out and, you know, touch on a few different little things, um, and, and I'm glad that we're circling back to, to our roots. Yeah. Um, I felt kind of disconnected from it for a little while, but uh, with TikTok, you got to follow the trends in such a um, specific way, mm-hmm. and with YouTube, I feel like we can really do our own thing. Um, so I think uh, I think that'll probably be a point of difference between the TikTok and the YouTube now. Um, the TikTok is probably going to be ma- more history-oriented. This will probably be more um, folklore and conspiracy-oriented. Um, also, can they hear me okay? Yeah, the levels are good. And oh, Becca. Was... Look, it's Becca. Hey, Becca. Hey, Becca. Glad to see you've made it live. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for watching. That means a lot to us. But... Uh, yeah, so to, to give a quick overview on what we're discussing today, for those of you who don't know, uh, David Politis is the um, former police detective behind the Missing 411 series and the Missing 411 phenomenon. I'm not blaming him for the disappearances, I'm just saying he's the one who uh, kind of put all, the, put all the data together and said, alright, there seems to be something going on here. And... What he has constructed, being a police profiler, mm-hmm. is that uh, in these cases, in order to consider them missing 401 cases, they have to fit within uh, about two-thirds of what I'm about to read off to you, which is um, the person must disappear near water, near a boulder field, uh, in an area, if they're found, they're usually found in an area that had previously been searched, uh, these tend to be clusters of disappearances not just one or two under weird circumstances but rather Mm. lots of like 50 and 50 and up like something like that of Mm. disappearances not necessarily that are unsolvable or mysterious but clusters of disappearances then we have uh people with disabilities 
And that might sound like the kind of thing that would be an answer, but it's actually the opposite because the people who go missing with disabilities tend to be people with physical disabilities that stop them from moving Mm -hmm. on their own. And then these people inexplicably disappear and end up either uh, miles and miles away or thousands of feet up in elevation. Just all these different strange changes that the idea is that because of the disability, there's no way they could have gotten as far away as they did. Yeah. Uh, A major weather event could be part of it. Um, And then uh, timing. So the timing of the disappearance, who last saw them. How long ago did they see them? Because these disappearances Mm. usually happen within minutes. It's not like you were camping with three of your friends, you went to sleep, and then you woke up and one of your friends was gone. It's like you were gathering firewood with three of your friends, you put your firewood down, looked up, and one of your friends was gone. Mm. It's stuff like that. It just doesn't make sense. There's There's no room for a logical explanation in these cases. And remind me that all of these elements and factors fall under the umbrella of... Missing 411. Okay. Uh, And then there's the point of separation. The point of separation often doesn't make any sense because it's usually like they're right next to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, If the point of separation was, uh, you know, you're hiking several hundred yards apart Mm -hmm. when they went missing, okay. But usually the point of separation is within 150 meters, yeah. which is really strange. Um, then to tack on to that, there is when these people are found dead, they very rarely can with any certainty determine the cause of death. Mm-hmm. They will give a cause of death, but usually it's it just doesn't fit. You're like, all right, you're just grasping at straws to give the family some closure, you know? Mm-hmm. Um And then finally, uh, these people are often found missing clothing. And this could be uh, missing their jacket and pants in frigid conditions. This could be missing their socks and shirt in warm conditions. Mm. So it varies depending on where these people go missing. But to date, there have been 12 to 1,600 uh, of these disappearances since the first one we're going to talk about, which was in 1969. Um... Apparently had more notes than I... Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the people watching right now probably weren't here for uh, the TikTok stream, so... um, Very good point. So, we're going to start this one off uh, with probably one of the best-known Missing 411 cases, which is Dennis Martin, Mm. who we talked about on on Monday. Uh, Aiden, what do you remember about Dennis? Dennis, oh God, I've heard this story enough, you'd think I'd be able to recite word for word. Um, So, Dennis was, I can't remember how old he was. Six. six, He was a six-year-old kid. They were in Great Smoky Mountains, I believe, National Park. It was uh, him and his dad, and they were with a group of people, and the kids were playing hide-and-go-seek. And at one point, uh, uh, the dad had pretty much his eyes on Dennis almost the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kids were just like, messing around. And then out of like seemingly nowhere, Dennis was just no like gone. Just gone. And... Uh, you know, a whole search was started. The the FBI came in, the Green Berets came in, uh, which is you know of note. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember at one point, uh, Dennis's father remembered seeing. I don't remember if it was his father or somebody remembered seeing, uh, like a man running through the woods with what looked like a child on his shoulders. Exactly. And it like I can't, again, I can't remember if it was Dennis's father or if it was someone else. 
but that was just a weird coincidence. And I, from what I remember, Dennis was never found. But I believe what the, there was a there was a piece of clothing that was found, though, right? Uh, in Dennis's case, no clothing. Okay. Um, but to that was actually pretty on point for everything. Um, just to go over some of the basics of the case. Uh, Dennis Martin, six years old. He was camping in the Great Smoky Mountains with his brother, father, and grandfather. This was an annual Father's Day trip. Mm. Did it every year. Same campsite every year. And then on the second day, the first day went without any any issue. Mm. Second day, they come across another family. The kids are all playing hide-and-seek. Um, and Will, Dennis's father, would insist that he saw Dennis hide behind a specific tree. He saw him hide behind that tree the entire time. He did not move. And then when they called everybody to come in and say the game's over, uh, Dennis did not emerge from behind the tree. Uh, so Will walked up to the tree, and Dennis was not behind the tree. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, impossible because he had only ever looked away for a second or two at a time. Not enough time for Dennis to get up and silently move to another spot. Mm. Um, and Dennis was also six. I mean, six-year-olds are not stealth-oriented. Yeah. So... They didn't go through buds. Exactly. <laughs> but you know who did go through not buds, but something similar? The Green Berets. The Green Berets, who were training in the area. And so uh, as the search got going and nobody could find Dennis, even though he'd only been gone, you know, a few minutes, he should have been somewhere in the area. Uh, they called in search and rescue, um, Green Berets. I can't recall exactly if FBI were involved in this search. but From what I recall, they were. I think they were. Yeah. But it would not be weird for the FBI to be involved because no, it was a minor child's case. Yeah. But uh, so, just for those who don't know, the FBI avoids getting involved in cases of missing adults. They usually leave it up to the local jurisdiction. However, if it is a child, the FBI will get involved if asked. Um, so, search and rescue goes out. Thousands of people looking, and then what they find is that uh, they're not finding anything. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's through the ages kind of been odd about this is that the Green Berets were involved. The Green Berets at the time, of course, being America's most elite special forces unit. Mm. Think Navy SEALs, think Delta Force. Like, the the Green Berets were the first of of those uh, modern military units. And for just anyone who's interested, it's Green Berets are specifically Army. Yes, Army Special Forces. Whereas SEALs are Navy. Yes. And uh, Delta Force, is that... That's not Marines, is it? Isn't that the Army? Delta is Army. Yeah. Delta Delta is Army Special Forces, and they are. Uh, only recently are they like not classified. Yeah. Like they exist. Um. So, search gets launched. Um, sixteen hundred searchers and a detachment of Green Berets, and the documentation from the time, mm-hmm. uh, contradicts itself. How so? Because I forget exactly which direction it goes, but I believe it's uh, the Green Berets documents say they were working with Search and Rescue. Mm -hmm. Search and Rescue's documents say the Green Berets were working on their own mission. Mm. Um, Which leads you to wonder, you know, I understand bringing in Green Berets who are very well, you know, well fit to this this task of, you know, navigating mountainous terrain and whatnot. But what I don't understand is why they would lie about being involved. Yeah. Because the only reason I can think of is that they were not there to find Dennis. Especially when you factor in that one of the other families interviewed by David Politis said that they, at the same time this was going on, Mm -hmm. had seen 
what appeared to be a bear running along a mountainside with something slung over its shoulder. But they said it wasn't running like a bear. It wasn't mm. behaving like a bear. But, of course, you know, as we try and do on this show, we try not to, like, let hearsay do, do too much uh, to, to our speculation. Yeah. But it is worth looking at and thinking, you know, hmm, that's, that's a weird little detail. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, despite 1,600 search and rescue operators, um, several days of searching, uh, and it really not being, it, like, how far could he move? Yeah. Um, you know, a six-year-old boy, what, what was the other one we were looking at? Uh, a seven-year-old boy could reasonably be expected to go, um, what did they say, 30 miles? I don't think it was that much. I thought it was like what? six. Was it six miles in 30 days? Six miles in 30 hours? Oh, it might have been 30 miles in six days. 30 miles in six days? It might have been that. Something like that. But the point of the matter was, um, in terrain like the terrain they were in, there's no way Dennis, without being taken out of that area, mm. could have gotten far enough outside of the search area that they wouldn't find him. Yeah. And Dennis was never found. Um, and that's kind of the first of these stories where you got to wonder what the hell happened. Yeah. The next one I want to talk about, and what we're doing here is the the cases where the person did not was not recovered. Yeah. It, next week we'll do the cases where the person was recovered. Uh, another one, Charles McCuller. He was 19 years old, went missing in Crater Lake, Oregon, in 1975. Do you remember anything I told you about it? Okay, so <laughs> he was touring the West Coast doing photography in the national parks. Um, Naturally. If, if you are new here, <laughs> um, we focus a lot on weird disappearances in the national parks on this channel. It is uh, one of our favorite things to study. It's kind of the keystone of the entire like project we've got going on here. Yeah. we got to go to these national parks, too. We do. Uh, but... He was doing photography in the national parks. His friend, who had an all-terrain vehicle, dropped him off because uh, his um, VW like minibus wasn't going to make it out there. Gee, um, why? Exactly, in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, his friend drops him off. Charles tells his friend to file a missing persons report if he wasn't back in a few days, uh, half jokingly. But um, the thing is, there were seven feet of snow on the ground, so any reasonable person would have looked at this and gone, "I can come back next week." Yeah. Uh, he didn't. So, uh, of course, four or five days pass, and he still hasn't shown up to the rendezvous point. Um, his friend goes, files a missing persons report, and this is another one of the weird cases where this is an adult, and the FBI is involved. Um, so, nothing was found during the winter or the subsequent summer after okay. they launched the search. Mm -hmm. um, in oh. 1976, however... An unrelated set of backpackers came across a backpack in the area uh, with a key that matched the description of Charles Carkey. So, do you remember how many miles off the trailhead? I don't remember how many miles off, but I think I know what the other thing was found. Yeah. So, um, for those in chat, uh, to get um, through seven feet of snow mm -hmm. in any way... It's extraordinarily difficult. Um, Unless you're trying to navigate on top of it with either snowshoes or skis. But which even he then, didn't have. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Charles McCuller was found... I almost want to ask chat. Take a guess. 
Everybody, chat, chat, take a guess and tell us uh, how how many miles off the trailhead you think Charles McCuller was found. In seven feet of snow. Like, realistically, how far do you think he got? We gotta wait a second, because the yeah. leg. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think... Fun. I'm excited to hear some answers here. I, I think it'll be... Also, I think the numbers. I know. I think... numbers. I think people are either going to underestimate it or way overestimate it. Yeah, definitely. It. How far behind is the YouTube lag? Um, I don't know, probably a minute. Oh, here it goes. There it is. So it's like 20 or 30 seconds. North State native, you're absolutely correct. Whatever the real answer is is wrong. It is absolutely that. Uh, 23, 15, 17, 45, 2, 10, 7, 50, 120 feet. That's not a bad guess. Uh, 7 miles, 2 miles, 17 miles, 15, 50, 12, 3... Uh, we can stop. Uh, Andrew Arbor, you got it. It was 12 miles off the trailhead. 12 miles off the trailhead. Becca, my guy. <laughs> 25? Uh, she had faith. She had faith in uh, in Charles that he, he would really truck through that stuff. I love you, Becca. She's great. Oh, um, man. Okay, so yes, they find his backpack 12 miles off the trailhead. Nearby, sitting on a log, are his pants. They are unbuttoned. Um, now, the key here is that he's not in the pants. Correct. But, but his socks are in the pants. And? And what's inside the socks? The feet. His feet. His feet are inside the socks. So his, it, the only thing that's left are his sock-wearing feet. Within, in his jeans. W- within the pants. On a log. On a log. As if he was just sitting there. And that, that's it. And then, uh, no, it's not it. Because they right. did find a skull fragment. Right. They like found a skull feet. fragment. 12 feet away. It's an interesting combination of 12 miles and 12 feet. Yeah, it's... So, it's like... (laughs) You gotta... There's a lot that's weird here, right? Like, Mm -hmm. 12 miles off the trailhead and 7 feet of snow. Um, His uh, decomposed feet still in his socks that are still in his pants, but his legs aren't in the pants. His torso is nowhere to be found. Imagine, like... Getting tired, sitting down for a second, just being like, "All right, I'm ready to go. I'm gonna just take off my feet here for exactly, a and then just, just get out of everything that is below the waist and go for a little bit more of a hike." It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, and skull fragment. So exactly that. So anyway, a portion of his skull was found nearby. His torso was never found. Um, and uh, <laughs> as you can imagine, in a case where. Uh, a man goes missing um, 12 miles off the trailhead in 7 feet of snow uh, where his feet remain in their socks, which remain in the pants that do not have legs in them, uh, with the backpack nearby. As you can imagine, this was ruled, uh, you know, natural causes. No, yes, of course. They ruled this death natural causes. There is not even a... There's no iota of... Natural causes here. So what? <laughs> I guess. Who knows, man? Like it just—it doesn't—it doesn't make sense. Like I guess, like you, even frost is frostbite technically natural causes? Ah, uh, I don't know that I would call frostbite natural causes. Yeah, it's like it's—it's it's unnatural causes. I'm not going to necessarily say supernatural, but... <laughs> but anyway, anyway, let's keep let's keep the ball rolling here. Yes. So, the very next one that I have up here, and as, as you can tell, these are all people who we didn't find. Yes. 
Bart Schleier, 49 years old, went missing in Reed Lakes well, wait, really in the Yukon Territory in 2004. Before you get into this, this next story, how much of a person do you have to find before it's considered the person is found? Because we did find feet. I think it's just enough remains that, like, they couldn't have gone further. Yeah, that's fair. Like, enough remains that you can determine the person's dead based on what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, being footless and pantsless... It sounds and like... And fraction of your skullless. It sounds like the headless horseman's, like, wannabe cousin. The blockchain cousin. Oh, jeez. This is not, why I don't look like, look at chat. Not the bite, <coughs> the bite of 87. Oh, good lord. Oh, God. I don't know anything about FNAF. The frostbite of 87. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Bart Schleier, 49 years old, Reed Lakes, Yukon, 2004. Now, most 49-year-olds going on, uh, you know, two-week-long moose hunting trips in the Yukon, it would not be weird for them to, uh, you know, like, maybe go missing or die. But Bart Schleier spent uh, a few years stalking around Siberia, yeah. hunting and tagging Siberian tigers for conservation efforts. So this is just a man. This is a man. This is a, a genuine yeah. man. So... I like him already. Yeah. Uh, he went... He was at, by the larger of the lakes, um, and he was hunting moose. So he had to fly out on a float plane, mm -hmm. um, and he basically said, come get me in two weeks. I'll be here. He had two weeks of supplies with him. He had a nice, sturdy tent. Mm -hmm. um, his guns, his bows, was good to go. Uh, two weeks go by, and his pilot returns to... Well, you know, do his job, pick up Bart and whatever Bart was hauling, mm. and fly him back to a reasonable location. Uh, what he found was that uh, the campsite was still there, all the food was still there, Bart's dry bag was still there, Bart's weapons were still there, and it looked like there was an indentation on the dry bag as if somebody had been sitting against it waiting for Moose to come by. Interesting. Bart was not there. Mm -hmm. Not only was Bart not there, Bart never showed up. What do you mean he never showed up? He never showed up. Wasn't it his stuff? It was his stuff, but he never showed up to collect his stuff to get on the plane. Right. You might think, oh, maybe he lost track of time, and that's what the pilot thought, and so he stuck around for a little while. But over time, it seemed to get more and more eerie, and eventually he did contact the authorities. Mm -hmm. And the authorities came out, they did an investigation, they launched a search party. Uh, Bart was not found. <laughs> so the running theory was that a large predator came and took Bart. But the problem was, all of Bart's friends said, there's no way that a large predator would be able to sneak up on Bart and just, like, take him. Mm -hmm. There was also no sign of a death struggle. Because a guy like Bart, probably not going to just, like, resign himself no. to being taken by a, a bear or a mountain lion. No. Um, also, he had guns and, uh, like, the ability to fight. So... And, and seemingly the desire as well. So, you look at it, and it doesn't make sense that there's no struggle. And even more perplexing, say a bear did come and did get the jump on him, mm -hmm. dragged him off into the woods, ate him. Which, again, they didn't find his remains. They didn't find a death struggle. Yep. The bear... A bear would go back and eat the food 
at the campsite because mm-hmm. that's what bears do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the food at the campsite was intact. The larger predator was Scott Hansen. Oh god. <laughs> Anywho, continue. So another case where somebody disappears, mm-hmm. um, and it seems they were the only target. None of their goods, none of their food. Yeah. Literally, all whoever was after them was after was them. Mm-hmm. Um, and this seems to be the running case in a lot of these stories where you've got just a, a human being targeted. Yep. And no real explanation as to why that human was being targeted, but they didn't want what the human had. They didn't want what the human was carrying. They didn't want the human's weapons. They just wanted the human, which makes you ask questions. Because that just sounds like you're hunting for, like, you know, m- meals. Well, yes. Um, so, we're going to get into another one. Uh, in, a, in, a, in an even stranger vein, actually, if I'm being honest. Chris Tompkins. He was in his 20s, I believe he was actually exactly 20, in Ellerslie, Georgia. This was in 2002. He was part of a survey crew. And the way they were doing their their hike up this uh, this road to mm-hmm. survey was they had one guy in the front and then like 50 feet behind him, another guy, 50 feet behind him, another guy, 50 feet behind him, another guy. And Chris was at the end of the line. Mm-hmm. And the guy who was in front of Chris would say that uh, every once in a while he'd check back to make Chris was still doing okay. Mm-hmm. He would check back. Chris is there. Looks forward. Couple minutes later, checks back. Chris ain't there. They heard nothing. Mm-hmm. They saw nothing. Not a sound was made. So they went over to where Chris was last seen. Mm-hmm. And what they found along the way was pocket change, tools, basically anything that would have been in his pockets mm-hmm. was on the ground. Which led them to believe that someone or something picked Chris up like this, threw him over his back, and ran off with him. Because well, at some point, Chris has to have been upside down long enough for that stuff to wriggle its way out of his pockets, right? Yeah. Um, it gets weirder. So to the side, there's a barbed wire fence. In the barbed wire fence, they find one of Chris's shoes. And then about 800 yards past the fence, they find his other shoe. These were boots. Mm-hmm. Nothing else of Chris Tompkins was ever found. Was there any trail of, like... Something. Nothing. No trail. No evidence. No no blood. And the weirdest part is if if someone ran up to you on a trail, grabbed you, turned you upside down, and shook you, and then ran off, you'd probably make a sound, right? Yeah, but for sure. So, how? How does he disappear like that? Yeah, it doesn't, that make, doesn't any make any sense. sense at all. Um... But yeah, the, he was he was never found, um, and that that one is one of the most intriguing to me, honestly. The Manhussy Hunt, the Mahussy Hunt. Uh, uh, yeah, I did not let on that that, that Mahaha the Tickler would be friendly. <laughs> I explicitly said Mahaha the Tickler would try to kill you. Um, sir. Well, it looks like she didn't succeed. I mean, good. Yeah. Definitively. But yeah, so uh, now we're getting into 
a, a broader category of weird yes. with uh, Mount Shasta in California. Okay. So in 2010, uh, a family who chose to re- remain anonymous uh, went up to Mount Shasta, California, and this family included a toddler, a male toddler, a female child, and a mother and a father. Uh, the toddler disappeared from right next to his sister without a sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sister claims that she turned and like said something to her parents, turned back, he was gone. Um, couldn't have been more than a few minutes, you know? Uh, so they immediately contact the authorities, launch a search. Uh, hundreds of searchers within hours of the disappearance, they found uh, the toddler five hours later mm. in a patch of bushes that they had searched multiple times over the course of that five hours. Mm-hmm. I remember this, yeah. Uh, so the way they all kind of looked at this was, oh, well, he probably just you know, wandered off and got lost and then eventually found his way back. Mm. And that's kind of the the consensus up until he got to his grandmother's house a few weeks later Mm -hmm. where he looked at her and he said, I don't like the other grandma. Mm. And so grandma goes to uh, dad and says, you know, this is what he said to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have a conversation because what he had said to both of them was that he was sitting by the fire, and he saw his grandmother in the forest waving for him to come towards her, Mm -hmm. and that she led him up a hill into a cave, and in the cave were purses and spiders. These were his words, by the way. Um, Three-and-a-half-year-old, probably not the best communicator, but these were his words. Yeah. And then the the other grandma started asking him questions that he didn't like, that he didn't know how to answer. And so what he did was, you know, eventually just she got frustrated with him. Uh, one thing he said that he didn't like about the other grandma was how her head glowed. I don't know what that means. No. But c- creepy as hell. Um, yep. But yeah, so uh, she eventually gets frustrated with him and heads, like tells him to leave. He goes back down the mountain hides in this bush they eventually find him that explains where he was Mm -hmm. um but this all jogged a memory that the grandmother had which was and keep in mind this is a three-year-old any old woman to them is their grandmother Mm -hmm. um so it doesn't have to necessarily have looked like his grandmother it probably just had to look like similar age um so the grandmother recounted a story to her son where she and her friend had been camping around the same spot mm-hmm. a year earlier. And she was, they, they were sitting out by the campfire, but there were a lot of, you know, bugs and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. and they noticed from the tree line that there were a pair of eyes, like mm-hmm. glow in the dark eyes watching them. Every time they tried to shine the flashlight on it, it would disappear. Yeah. And then it reappear on another side of the campsite. So eventually mm-hmm. they got tired of this. They left the fire going. They went to bed. Mm-hmm. Him and his camper and her and her sleeping bag in her tent. Um, the next morning, they both woke up outside of their tent and camper on the ground feeling horribly sick mm-hmm. with little puncture marks in the backs of their necks as if they had been bitten by a large spider. They attributed that to why they were feeling so sick mm-hmm. and decided, you know what? Let's pack up and go home. Uh, so they did. And these two stories have enough in common when you think about grandma, yep. spider bites, spiders, spiders yep. purses, um, you know, something in the, the wood, something in the tree line. The purses thing is interesting. The purses thing is very interesting. But what, 
what gets me, the, the spider bit is what gets me. Why is that? Because th- what if there were to be something stalking around out there mm-hmm. that uh, was a shapeshifter of sorts mm-hmm. and used the blood-sucking actions of a spider mm-hmm. to collect whatever DNA it needed to shapeshift mm-hmm. into that person? Mm-hmm. So what if a year earlier, when Grammy got her spider bite, mm-hmm. that got the blood that whatever demonic entity living in this cave needed to reappear as the grandmother a year later. Yep. Obviously a lot of speculation there, a lot of paranormal supernatural stuff, mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's worth asking the question. Um, and at the very least at the very least, really cool concept for a horror movie. Yes. I would agree. It sounds like it, but just like even more yeah, weird. The, yeah, the glowing head is. Every time you say the glowing head, it reminds me of this. Um, do you know Kyle Hill? Vaguely. So he does the. He he was on SciShow on YouTube, and now he's got his own channel. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, with the guy with the long hair, whatever. Yeah. He re, this past year he's been doing this uh, series called Half Life, and it's mm-hmm. all about like you know just kind of things involving nuclear disasters and radioactive issues and things like that. And one thing he did recently is called um it was like a it was one of the worst nuclear or radioactive fallout disasters ever mm-hmm. um but it didn't have to do with a power plant or a nuclear explosion mm-hmm. it was there was a machine back in like the 60s and 70s that used uh i believe it was the byproduct of the decay was cesium but i think it used either plutonium or uranium to detect essentially it fired uh like you know neuro or not neurons but um it fired radio, it was like small amounts of radioactive particles directly into people, just kind of analyzed like what was going wrong with their brain and body. Mm. And in that in that level, it was safe. Right. But this hospital in Brazil used one of those and then shut down. And then over a period of time of I think it was like ten to fifteen years, uh, it was just kind of left in decay, and nobody came to come get the stuff. People mm. tried, but they were denied. Um, Anyway, so this the, these two guys ended up going in because they heard there was like st- stuff worth a lot of money in this you know broken down just kind of like abandoned hospital, and they get this thing and they they, they have no idea what it is and they bring it back to their uh, uncle's um, shop. It was like a car shop, like auto body shop, mm-hmm. and they open it up and there's this powder, this just white powder that's glowing blue. And they're just like, nobody knows what the hell it is. And they're like, this is wild. And so they start taking the powder and then like people started coming and they were just taking like handfuls of the powder. And like one girl like sprinkled it all over her arms and like it was like her arms were like glowing blue because of it. And people were like putting it in food and stuff like that. Um, Yeah. And so inevitably uh, people started getting sick and uh, somebody was brought in. We have the smartest people in the world, <laughs> all in one place, and they proceeded to do the dumbest shit. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, so somebody was brought in because uh, somebody suspected that it had to do with radioactivity, and they came in and they checked this bag that was brought into a hospital, and the, the decimeter that was checking the radioactivity level, uh, he had it out and he was checking it out on his way to the hospital. He didn't even go inside yet. And the thing clocked out before he before he even got in the building. And he was like, everyone needs to get out here immediately. Inevitably, they found out that this, uh, this white powder that was glowing blue was the cesium 
that had been, uh, you know, the radioactive mm-hmm. decay element from, you know, whatever was in it. Uh, and the reason why it was glowing blue was because uh, the radioactivity from the cesium was so strong that it was ionizing the air around yep. it. So, yes. Uh, also, if you've seen the show Chernobyl, which I absolutely loved, I binged that in November and I still watch clips from it. Um, when the reactor exploded and they show in the show, um, or they depict in the show, I should say, uh, this beam of blue light coming out of the building. Uh, that is something that actually happened, and that was the same thing. The radioactivity that was shooting directly into the air was so strong that it was ionizing all of the air molecules mm-hmm. directly above the reactor. And, yeah, really wild stuff. I find radiation fascinating, uh, but also horrifying. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that nuclear energy is still the safest and most efficient yes, power that we, we are, have. Yes, we are very pro-nuclear at the Lore Lodge. Yes. Um, Thorium reactors. We like them. But to get on to the next case... Yes, um, sorry for my rant. Because we are, we are getting dangerously close on timing here. Uh, yes, Carl Landers. Uh, Carl was 69 years old. This was in 1999. And while you might think a 69-year-old should not be hiking, some of them are very capable. Mm. Um, this was also on Mount Shasta in California, and he wanted to summit the mountain. But uh, about most of the way up, there's a spot called Lake Helens where you can kind of rest and adjust to the altitude mm-hmm. he had the early symptoms of alcohol ah, altitude symptom he had the early symptoms of alcohol he had the early symptoms of altitude sickness <laughs> so he decided to wait the night and try again in the morning yep. uh day two he sets off alone to summit the last 200 or so yards it's about it's about 650 feet total yeah um so he sets off to do that um, and he leaves behind one of his friends who's just too sick to move and another who's like, I'll go a little bit later. So it's a short trail, 650, uh, feet, um, only one way up and one way down. And the sides of the trail are pretty open. Like they're not really, they're not forested or anything. They're yeah. not full of like mountainous crags. Um, so he gets up and yeah. a few hours later, one of his friends decides that he too is going to summit. Mm. And so he goes up, gets to the top. Carl's not there. Comes back down. Carl's also not there. Mm. So, the two friends that are remaining are like, what could possibly have happened here? Mm-hmm. There's only one way up. There's only one way down. If you didn't see him going up and you didn't see him coming down, and he's not down here with you. Mm-hmm. He's just gone. So, they launch a massive search effort, as they do. Um, and... Uh, Hang on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Rebecca said, radiation? Did you mean spicy ions? Oh, Don't give... Uh, when we go to Super Chats, I'll go on more rants about radioactivity and things like that. <laughs> I'm sure they'll love it. I very much enjoy it, but anyway, let's uh, finish this. Okay, yeah, but so, point being, uh, th- there's not much more to this story. Carl's yeah. just never found. Yeah. Like, they looked all over the place, but there's nowhere a 60-year-old, 69-year-old man could have gone. Mm-hmm. So, the only answer is that, like, something took him. Yeah. Because they never found remains either. They searched the entire mountain. He's gone. Yeah. Um, there's no real way he made it off the mountain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what what can you do? Uh, the next one involves 57-year-old Eric Lewis, who went missing in 2010 uh, on Mount Rainier in Washington. He was climbing with two friends. And I will forewarn everybody, there is a murder conspiracy involved in this one. Um, but... Uh, climbing with two friends, it was a pretty technical climb. They were uh, half hiking, half mountain climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, they were in a formation where one person would climb up to the top Mm -hmm. of wherever they were going, anchor themselves down, and then the other two would follow. Mm -hmm. And then the next person would climb up. So that everybody got to rest. Yeah. Um, So uh, the one guy gets to his spot, stops, anchors himself in. Um, The other guy gets up, stops, anchors himself in. And then they realize that Eric's not there. And they pull up on Eric's rope and it's light. And so they pull Eric's rope all the way up and the carabiners are missing. Mm. So Eric unclipped himself at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, they wait for a minute to see if they can hear anything. They call down for him. They can't. So they decide, all right, let's make our way back down. We'll talk to the authorities. We'll figure out what's going on. They'll send a search team. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll figure out where Eric went. Um, search team goes out. Still Pretty difficult climb, but they go out. Uh, but there, there wasn't really much for him to go. Like, if he fell, yeah, then you would be able to tell where. Yeah. But he didn't. Uh, what they did find was about 200 yards uh, off their climbing trail mm-hmm. was an ice cave. And in that ice cave, which seems to have gone deeper into the ground, mm-hmm. um, in that ice cave were all of Eric's gear. Literally everything. Interesting. His bag, his climbing equipment, all of it was in that ice cave. Uh, There's no good explanation for how that happens, especially because Eric himself was never found. There's the idea that perhaps he slipped further back into the cave, but why was he in the cave in the first place, you know? Um, And then uh, the the murder mystery aspect comes in with... uh, you could never really prove if his two friends decided to kill him. Mm-hmm. You could never really prove that they did that, but also with the like, how would they have disposed the body? Exactly, there's well. a lot, and there were no footprints leading up to the cave. Yeah, like it's just it, somehow Eric's stuff got into that cave with absolutely no evidence of that mm-hmm. at any point. So, also, Alex. Oh we'll get to God, your they're saying radio tussy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Alex, we'll get to your question in five minutes once we start Super Chats. If, and if you yes. don't mind, I'd love to answer that first, and then you correct anything that I say, because I have my thoughts on that. It's a dangerous question, but okay. I don't think so. Also, hi, Caitlin. Howdy. Um, anyway, yes. Yes, so uh, the next one, uh, Maurice Doc Demetz. He was 84 years old. This was in 1981 in Pike National Forest, Colorado. Murdoch. <laughs> Guys. <laughs> oh, my guys. I don't know why that one got to me specifically. I just wasn't ready for that. Oh, anyway. Um, oh, boy. Uh, so, anyway, uh, Maurice and his friend David uh, McSherry. Um, David was kind of like Maurice's, not quite his caretaker, but, like, helped him out to get her out and about, mm-hmm. around, uh, out and about around the house. Uh, they're going topaz hunting uh, in a place called Devil's Head within Mm -hmm. Pike National Forest, and this area is supposedly haunted by evil spirits. So, um, you know, great place to go topaz hunting. Yeah. Uh, Maurice is one of those people who he's old. He can't really move very far on his own. He Mm -hmm. absolutely cannot navigate a forest on his own. Yeah. So they set up shop um, about 50 to 100 yards from one another, Mm -hmm. and they're just digging with their trowels and whatnot. Uh, uh, Dave is... Checking in on Maurice every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as they're deciding, you know, maybe it's time to go, Dave gets up and he goes to look for Maurice, and Maurice is not where he left him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no way that Maurice just got up and walked away. Mm-hmm. So, 
uh, he goes and he like goes to check at the car. Maybe Maurice did get up to the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not there. Um, he goes back down, checks the site. Maybe Maurice just like wandered off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maurice isn't there. So he calls the authorities. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the, they launch a, uh, a, let me see. Yeah. They launch a week long search of the area. And again, keep in mind, this is an old man. He's not going to be able to move any faster than a toddler. Mm-hmm. So he should be in the course of a week. He should be found. Mm-hmm. Um, he was never found. Mm-hmm. Uh, the governor ended up rejecting an appeal to continue the search. Mm-hmm. Um, and to this day, Maurice uh, Doc Demetz is still considered missing. Um, his family never got any closure, and the government is just refusing to admit anything one way or another. They won't say, you know, they won't say, we don't know. Mm-hmm. They also won't say, there's a reason we're not going in there. Yeah. Which seems to be the running theme in all of these cases is, they do whatever search they can, if they find the body, great. But if they don't find the body, they just kind of like, all right, you know, it's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, the next one is Jim McGrogan. Uh, this was in Vail, Colorado in 2014. Very athletic young guy. I believe he was a dentist. Uh, he planned a hiking trip up near Vail uh, and, you know, very fit. Guy runs marathons and decathlons and triathlons. Like, not the kind of guy who's going to get into a, a ton of trouble. Um he had packed with him. He, first of all, he took a survival course before doing this on hiking in the cold. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He was very prepared. Uh, he had his phone. He had extra batteries for his phone, his GPS, and a lot more, like you know, snacks and MREs and uh, yeah. a, a, like a, a gasoline stove. Like anything you could possibly need to survive a couple of nights in the winter, mm. he had it. Uh, insulated pajamas, insulated sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. He was good to go. Mm-hmm. There's no reason that he should have struggled to at least call for help. Mm-hmm. And according to all of his friends, they had cell phone service the entire time they were out hiking. Interesting. Um, so at one point, uh, everyone's kind of lagging behind. Jim says, you know what? I want to go up to next level, uh, the next checkpoint, and I will wait for you guys there. Uh, and that was only a few hundred yards up the trail. So they sit and they take a rest while Jim goes on ahead. Um, Jim is not there when they get there. So they think, oh, maybe he just finished the trail and is waiting for us at the top. They finish the trail. Jim is not there. So uh, they go back and they look for any sign of, you know, where Jim might have stepped off the trail. Mm -hmm. But there's three feet of snow on the ground off of the trail. The trail's packed down. Yep. But around it, there's three feet of snow. Mm -hmm. So... If somebody stepped into it, you'd know. Mm. No tracks leading off the snow. They call in a search. Mm. Hundreds of people searching. Um, you got dogs. You got three helicopters mm. just combing the trail to see if any at any point are there tracks leading off of it. There aren't. Interesting. So, uh, they call off the search after five days. Mm-hmm. 20 days after his disappearance... Mm-hmm. A couple hiking off the trail come across his body. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was ruled to have died from massive head trauma and a broken femur. 
and they said that the injuries coincided with falling from a great height. Interesting. There was no great height for him to fall from. Mm-hmm. It was like something had picked him up, flown him into the air, and dropped him. Because mm-hmm. there weren't any cliffs, there weren't any trees he could have climbed. Yeah. Um, he also was not wearing his snow pants, and he was not wearing his jacket. Uh, and I also don't think he was wearing his boots. His cell phone mm-hmm. was working, had reception. Mm-hmm. The backup battery was charged, and the GPS was working fine. He had avalanche flares that he did not use, uh, and none of his food had been touched. Hmm. So, and on top of that, this spot had been searched five days into the search. The day that they ended the search, mm-hmm. that spot was empty. So, in the 15 days between the search ending and him being found, mm-hmm. why did he not call for help? Yeah, that's odd. Why didn't he eat any of his food? Why didn't he drink any of his water? Why didn't he use any of his flares? Why didn't he call for help? It makes no sense, you know? There's the, it, it, it doesn't track with somebody who um, was out for a hike and then got lost. It tracks with somebody who was out for a hike and got abducted. Yeah. But they don't know who abducted him. And what's weirder, and this part of this could be the snowfall, mm-hmm. but there were no tracks around his body. So they have no idea what happened to Jim Grogan. Um, and just heads up, we are at 8.02. So yes. I don't know how much more you want to go. Whew. Um, we started a little bit late. Uh, let me do uh, Garrett Bardsley and Aaron Hedges. Sure. Okay, so Garrett Bardsley, I can do th- this one real quick. Mm. Uh, camping with Boy Scouts in the Uintah Mountains uh, at Cooperant Lake in 2004. He was 12 years old. Uh, he was there with his dad, Kevin. He and Kevin walked 150 meters from their campsite around a slight bend to the river line uh, to fish. Uh, Garrett fell in, mm-hmm. and he was like, no, it's whatever, I'm... Yeah, I'm fine. I'll fish even with the wet clothes. 20 or 30 minutes later, he's like, you know what? This is uncomfortable. I'm going to go change. And his dad's like, fine, because he can still hear the the other campers. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, so he's like, yeah, whatever. This is a 12 year old, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't really think about it. No, they're they're not adults, but you know, they're, they're functional. Mm -hmm. Um, So Garrett, uh, he watches Garrett go around the bend and then assumes that very soon Garrett will be back there. 20 or 30 minutes pass. Far too long for somebody to just go change. But, you know, maybe he got sidetracked talking to his friends. So Kevin runs up the trail, looks for Garrett. Garrett's not in his tent. Garrett's not in his sleeping bag. Garrett's clothes are still there. Has anybody seen Garrett? Nobody's seen Garrett. Um, and he's like, we've got to find Garrett. So they call the sheriff's department. Sheriff's department sends people out. They organize search and rescue. Um, you know, park service comes out. They look for Garrett. One of my followers actually told me when I talked about this on TikTok Mm -hmm. that he was involved Mm -hmm. in that search, and he said it was the strangest thing he's ever seen. Yeah. Um, So, you know, these are not just made-up stories. These are things that people, real people, have been involved in. Yeah. The only thing that was ever found of Garrett Bardsley, this 12-year-old Boy Scout, Mm -hmm. who, you know, if you know Boy Scouts, they they, they know their way around the woods. Um. The only thing that was ever found of him was a single wet sock wedged between two boulders. Interesting. There is no wild animal that would do that. No. Uh, there is nobody who would um, 
kidnap somebody who would do that. Mm. So what the hell happened? And they had his mom come out to confirm it was his sock. Interesting. Yeah. So, wait, wait, I mean, what? Like, but yeah, I just want to get to this one last one because, oh sure. my God. I'm ready. And then we'll go to Super Chats. Aaron Hedges, 38 years old, 2014, The Crazies, Montana. This is a guy who spent all of his free time hiking, hunting, and camping in The Crazies. Okay. Um, he knew them like the back of his hand. He mm-hmm. didn't even need to use a map. He had caches of, um, you know, like uh, food and water and ammunition and weapons yep. hidden all over the mountains, mm. anywhere he would go. Yep. Um, so th- this guy was set. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. So he goes on a hunting trip with a few of his buddies. Um, does that say hiking? Sometimes I read my own notes and I really don't know what the fuck I was writing. <laughs> but yeah, so he's going hiking with his friends. The logistics went bad. They didn't have enough of something. And Garrett's mm-hmm. like, don't worry about it. I have a cache this way. It's like half a day's walk. I'll go get it. Bring it back. You guys stay here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the uh, walkie-talkies they were using had a GPS function. So when you communicated with them, it mm-hmm. relayed your location, which yep. is a really smart idea. We should get those. Um, yeah. And... Uh, so after he's been gone for a while and they're still not sure where he is, they kind of radio in and they're like, hey, man, I, you know, how's it going? You there yet? Like about when he was supposed to get there. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I just got turned around a little bit. It's no big deal. I'll work my way back up and I'll, I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they then look at his location and he should be, for lack of a better word, he should be up here and he's down here. Now, there's a fork in the road right here where if you take the left fork, which goes uphill, Mm -hmm. you will go uphill to where the cache is. Yeah. If you take the right fork, you will go downhill, which is not where the cache is. Yeah. So there's no reason to make this mistake. Um, It's not like there was a cache in both directions and he decided to go to the lower cache. Yeah. It's just there wasn't a cache this way and there was a cache this way. So. Interesting. um, He inexplicably is in the wrong place. They radio back when he's still not back that night. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, where are you? And he's like, I'm almost at the cache. I'll just stay out here for the night, and I'll, I'll link up with you guys in the morning. Yeah. Um, and still not quite, like, in the right spot. He doesn't look like he's on the right track. Mm-hmm. So they wait um, out through the night and then into the morning, and then they go to reconnect with him, and they're not getting any signal back. Yeah. Um. So they decide, you know what, we'll wait a little bit longer, see if he comes back. He doesn't. By the end of the day, they decide we're going to leave, we're going get to get the authorities, we're going to launch a search. Uh, massive search, helicopters, dogs, um, you know, thousands of volunteers, mm. and nothing. Until coming down away from that cache, mm-hmm. they came across, uh, if I remember correctly, let me see. I did not do a very good job taking notes here. Um, <laughs> yes, so here's what happened. Uh, yep. Along the way down, following the trail he had been on, they found his boots mm-hmm. and a pair of matches. Okay. Like a pack of matches. Yeah. Um, that was it. And so they shift the search area to the boots. Mm-hmm. But then, eventually, somebody way east, like yep. at the edge of the search area, finds, um, I believe it was uh, his backpack. Okay. 
um, and a few other things, and they, so they shift the search area that way. And then completely unrelated to this, a family who has a ranch down in the foothills of the crazies, uh, they were doing some fence repair, and one of the people involved in that repair project decided, I'm going to take a walk up into the mountains and mm. just, you know, sit up here and, and look down the valley. Um, gets up there and finds uh, his backpack, mm-hmm. his bow and arrow. Mm-hmm. I think at one point they had found his rifle. Okay. Finds his backpack, his bow and arrow, um, his jacket, and a thermos, an mm-hmm. open thermos, as if he was sitting there having a snack. Yeah. And keep in mind, this is all over the course of, like, weeks. Um, eventually, they did find, I believe this part was a year later, about a year later, mm-hmm. they did find his remains. Okay. Um, not far from where they found his, uh, the last of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Which means that when he died, mm-hmm. so first of all, when he was sitting on that rock with the thermos, with his backpack... And his bow. Yep. If he just looked straight down into the valley, mm-hmm. what he would have seen was a ranch. He was a mile from safety. Mm-hmm. He could see it. Yeah. And he chose to continue walking away from it. Yeah. At no point during this story did he express to anybody that he wished to go off grid. At no point did he say that he hated his life, he wasn't suicidal, there was nothing. It was just, he just kept making irrational decisions. Yep. And nobody can explain it. Kachusi? I just like Becca's comment of whatever's taking people, uh, whatever's taking these people doesn't like boots. And I yeah, exactly. Say, yeah, exactly. God, I agree. It's a good point. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, that's the Aaron Hedges one. Um... And then just to, you know... Oh, right. I forgot one detail. When his body was found a year later... Yes. He was missing his feet. Rest of him's intact. He just doesn't have feet. There's a consistency, but it's inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, this is getting out of control. <sighs> I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Um... All right, finish this up, and then we'll have the Super Chats. Yeah, so just to reiterate the last bits here, um, the missing 401 profile, person goes missing near water, near boulder fields, in an area previously searched. There's clusters of them. They often have disabilities. Uh, There could be a strange weather event. The timing of the disappearance is odd. The point of separation is odd. There is an unknown cause of death, and uh, they are missing clothing. Missing 401 cases tend to have most but not all of these uh, attributes. And if you're curious about learning more, uh, the David Politis Missing 401 book series has all the information. He also has his own YouTube so uh, YouTube YouTube channel called uh, Can-Am Missing Project. Mm. Uh, and Mr. Ballin does a great job breaking these down as well. Yep. Uh, now we are going to go to Super Chats. Yes. So, uh, stick around because we will sit here with you for half an hour to 45 minutes and answer whatever questions you choose to ask us, preferably questions that are related to uh, this show or topics this show touches on. But if you want to ask about you know, how devastated we are about the Eagles, you can also do that. Feel free or anything vaguely touched on or anything about us that we might be willing to share. Uh, you know, Just anything in general, whatever tickles your fancy. Sadly, um, no Archie tonight, because he uh, asked to stay with my parents. Yes. yeah. And by that, just... I mean my parents asked if Archie could stay with them. Correct. 
So anyway, uh, first off is this question I'm kind of excited to answer because I think it's a good <laughs> question uh, from Alex Hoffman for $10. Thank you very much. Saying, got an unrelated question. Why is it that Native Americans didn't seem to advance the same way the same amount uh, EU and mid, uh, I think, Middle Eastern oh, civilizations did? I would say, and I wanted to get your answer after I give mine, but based off of what I've learned from history and, and you know, I... I have a lot of respect for Native American cultures, and I just I really find those um, different tribes and, and their mentalities about life and religious beliefs and things like that really interesting. Um, a lot of that comes back to their cultural and religious beliefs. Uh, in you know European and more Western cultures before uh, the Americas were you know colonized or developed, um, you know the. European and, you know, even just areas around the Middle Eastern, things like that, were a lot more uh, focused on, I guess, individualism in a sense. And, you know, there was also a lot of uh, different hierarchical, you know, elements to the societies and a lot of just like building up of society in general. Whereas in native cultures, it was a lot more about a communal relationship with the land. And there wasn't this mentality of ownership. It was more that, you know, we are here and we're sharing this space with everything else that exists mm -hmm. on it. And, you know, we're only going to we're only going to take what we need to survive and we're going to you know make sure that we are appreciating it and doing the best that we can to give back to this environment in which we live. Uh, you know, they were nomadic, so they didn't they didn't have homes that they lived in their whole lives. They moved around we have and a lot of stereotypes here. Thornbury. Am I wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> not entirely. I mean, it's not every tribe, obviously, but I like, you know, from what on, I understand, I, this is why I said I wanted to answer first, and then you correct me. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, but like, largely, you know, it was a lot of, I mean, there were, there were hierarchies in terms of the, you know, elements of the tribes, but a yeah. lot of it was more along the lines of, you know, we're going to respect the nature that we're living in, and it's not mm -hmm. about, I mean, they didn't have, you know, massive industries or trades or they things like that you know it was more along the lines of they just kind of they lived within their means and they from what i understand didn't have interest in kind of industrializing yeah i mean a lot of what you said is correct um i mean what one of the biggest mistakes people tend to make i think when thinking about native american history and native american culture is that this was a monolith of a culture it was not yeah, they were very uh, different tribes. Native Native American societies were just as varied as European and yeah. African. Um, I, I think the the key part of this, and I'm I mean this in the least offensive way possible, the Native Americans did not make it into the Copper Age mm. until Europeans were arriving. Mm. So uh, the earliest copper tools mm -hmm. from um, Native American societies that I'm aware of were from around 1000 AD. Mm -hmm. uh, by that time, we were working with, or not we, but the, the Europeans, uh, many African groups, uh, the, the East Asians, were all working with, um, you know, steel, with yeah. iron and steel, and uh, had developed, you know, extraordinarily... Uh, complex seafaring maneuvers and mm -hmm. um, methods of agriculture that the natives just hadn't reached. Um, and you got to wonder, was this... Because the natives did war with each other. It wasn't like they were, you know, uh, spending all of their time tending to the land and whatnot. Well, it's the, just that they lived in much smaller communities yeah. most well, of the time. And some of the tribal wars were 
gruesome. Oh, yeah, they had some like, brutal wars. Yeah, the rivalries between tribes. I mean, did they... Tell, was it more frequent for tribes to be at each other's throats or get along? It really seems to depend. Um, I, I don't have enough of a grasp on the history side of things mm. as I do the folklore side. But yeah, the uh, basically the what I point to as the reason that the natives had no chance when the Europeans got here mm. was uh, they hadn't they had not mastered copper working yet. Mm. Um, so they were in terms of metallurgy, they were ages behind. Yeah, um, they did not have the same um, top-down leadership structure. Mm-hmm. that the Europeans who were arriving did. Now, you got to remember, the Europeans who were arriving into the States at that time, um, these were essentially military colonies. Yeah. They were, they were, they were very militarized. There was mm-hmm. a leader, he had lieutenants, he had sergeants, like, everybody was outfitted both as a soldier and a settler. Mm-hmm. So, just manpower to manpower, you know, a, a various tribe might muster... 12, 15 warriors, and if you had a confederation, you might be able to muster an army of a few hundred. Mm. But um, none of them had guns. Yeah. None of them had steel swords. None of them had steel armor. And, uh, I mean, if you look at the the Vikings who landed at Vinland versus the uh, settlers who landed at Jamestown, Mm. the Vikings who landed at Vinland probably were wearing leather armor and carrying very high-quality steel axes, Mm. might have had helmets, one or two might have had chainmail. Yeah. But for the most part, they weren't specifically all that better armed. Mm. And when you're outnumbered, it doesn't matter how well armed you are. Yeah. Um, but if you're in a position where the other guy can't even get to you, mm-hmm. like it would be with the Jamestown settlement, because yeah. they had walls and they had guns and they had cannons, like it was just not... The only chance the natives had was out in the brush. Yeah. And the settlers got very good at dealing with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it really stems down, it, it, it boils down to um, them not having copper mm-hmm. uh, and, and a lack of agriculture because, uh, you know, there were agricultural native societies, um, there were urbanized native societies, but they weren't as big. Mm-hmm. Um, it would look much like uh, Europe did um, during the, the early Bronze Age. Okay. Um, so... And that's not to say that they weren't spiritually enlightened or that mm-hmm. they, but they prioritized different things. And a time came when the side that prioritized military might mm-hmm. and military logistics, when those people arrived, there was just no, there was no chance. Yeah. And if you look, the, the process of conquering uh, America from the natives mm-hmm. got harder and harder. Mm-hmm. as they adopted the horse and as they adopted the rifle and as they adopted uh the same raiding tactics and really like learned how to fight the white man yeah like um so it's it's just so it's it's really not about that they weren't yeah. capable it's just that they hadn't. they prioritize different things yeah. if, if you ever play civ um mm-hmm. i think this is my my favorite way to talk about it if you play civilization um you can prioritize one of several different tech trees. Mm. They did not prioritize the military tech tree. Yeah. Um, they prioritized the agricultural tech tree and mm. the spiritual tech tree. Yeah. So when Europeans got here, even if the Native Americans were superior in all of these other things, mm. the Europeans had the superior weaponry and tactics. Yeah. And at the end of the day... At the end, it sucks. It sucks. Mm. 
but at the end of the day, that is what happened. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make it right. It yeah. doesn't, you know, but it, it's, um, you know, it, that's history. Yeah. That's, there, there are many stories like what the Native Americans went through. And unfortunately, there, if we go into space mm-hmm. and there happen to be other alien civilizations, it's very likely that the story will repeat. Or it might even repeat with us. If aliens come to Earth, you, think, you think we're ready? <laughs> no, we're not. Not, not even close. Uh, so the next question is generally along the same lines. I think it was pretty much answered. Was uh, from Alex again for five dollars, saying that was my first super chat ever. Uh, my first super chat yeah, ever. Sixty nine. Nice. Nice. Uh, another question is if you have time, uh, why is it some cultures advance and why do they, and why do others not? Uh, and I feel like you generally covered that, but if you want to add a little bit, sure. To I mean, it, what was the question exactly? Just why do uh, certain cultures advance and why do some not? And real quick, I'm gonna hit the bathroom. Like sure. That. Yeah. I mean. Uh, Again, it's it's usually a combination of factors, um, and also determining what cultural advancement is. You know, is uh, are, are you looking at the advancement of architecture or of military or of religion? Um, you know, some some cultures like I think the Native Americans are a good one to look at because uh, for thousands and thousands, like thirteen thousand years at least. These people were isolated from the rest of the world. So nobody in the Americas was really competing. Nobody in the Americas was uh, pushing to, to get to the next level. And part of that is because of proximity. Um, the proximity between medieval towns and city-states and classical towns and city-states, these were places that were a few days march from one another if you wanted to go to war against somebody in uh, pre-colonial America a lot of these people were nomadic you might find yourself marching for weeks before you even spot the enemy's rear guard yeah um, and you know uh, when when it takes so long to wage war sometimes the better option is to simply not wage war if there is so much space and so much land that you can do your thing mm-hmm. without bothering other people, fine. Yeah. Do it. Um, and I think that's what happened with the Native Americans is they just prioritized uh, a different thing. You know, Europeans got packed together like sardines and realized they were going to have to fight. Yeah. Had the natives, um, you know, had we given the Native Americans another thousand years, if you look at where they were when we got here, I. Uh, if you gave them another thousand years before contact, um, they might have urbanized, mm-hmm. and then you might have been fighting, uh, you know, medieval Native American mm-hmm. cities with uh, copper and bronze armor, and um, you know, not medieval, but you you would have been seeing probably a much much more like what we saw with the Aztecs, because mm. um, the in Mexico, the the Mexican. Um, what is that? The is it an isthmus? Like uh, the landmass that is Mexico, yeah, is much smaller. Uh, there's a lot of densely pop. There, there's a lot of dense forests, mm-hmm. a lot of mountains. So the livable areas were much more competitive. Mm-hmm. It was much more difficult to secure one. Yeah. So they had to develop weapons and they had to develop uh, hierarchies and mm-hmm. a strong religious uh, background. So by the time uh, the conquistadors got there, yeah, they 
cleaned up, but, you know, in a situation where they weren't allowed into the city because the Aztecs believed them to be gods, Mm -hmm. in a situation where they actually had to lay siege to Tenochtitlan, Mm -hmm. there's a good chance that, you know, with, with the size of the army they had, they want me to say milk. Well, you said it. Milk. Yeah, you know, with the size of the force that uh, Cortez was bringing mm. to Tenochtitlan, um, he probably if they had closed the gates to him mm. and forced him to besiege them, yeah, they probably would have won. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so it's it really is stuff like that. By the way, I do just want to hop in here. Um, as far as uh, our our show goes and the donation goals, hmm. um, I would like to say that uh, at seven hundred and fifty dollars. Uh, Aiden will have to wear the TikTok leggings. Yes. Um, I don't know exactly how much we've made tonight. Uh, I believe it's 15, uh, 35, 40, about 40. All right, so let's see. A little over 40. Oh, wait, I missed some. 40, 50, 60, 70. Uh, let's just say roughly roughly 80. All right, so let's say we're at about 600 then. Yeah. So uh, if you guys want to see Aiden and TikTok leggings, then uh, in the next two episodes of this show, uh, you will be required to... Um, you won't be required to, but... Uh, if if we hit um, $750 in Super Chats for the month, mm-hmm. uh, which at this point is another $150 in Super Chats, uh, if you guys can hit that by the end of the month, we will get Aiden a pair of TikTok leggings, and he will wear them. Uh, he'll probably wear them while we do the Windows Cocktail video. Um, okay. Yeah. And uh, well. then if you guys can get us to 1000 um, I will wear Lore Lodge merch. Go to the King of Prussia Mall, and uh, we will see how many people recognize me and yeah. how many people make me feel very, very sad about who I am. Oh, so, yeah. I, you know, good times all around. But uh, we are not done yet. I just wanted to read off and, and yeah. let you guys know what just the so donation goals are. Uh, um, the, they want you to say milk. Oh, you guys would like me to say... Anyway, moving on. Um, from Essel Jazz Jazzaks Jazz Jazzist. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that. Uh, for twenty dollars, says I've watched just about every video of yours, but I haven't been able to watch the stream live since the first two. Graduated from college in December, so I have a bit more time on my hands now. Awesome, that's great. Uh, love the content, keep it up. So no question there, just some. Uh, some nice positivity. Nice. We always love that. And then Jai for $5 says, uh, look up how big Rasputin's manhood was. Want to know your guys' reaction. It's in a museum, but you both need to join the Minecraft to fight the dragon on stream soon. We'll do that eventually. Uh, was it like 12 or 13 inches? That's what somebody said, I believe, yeah. Uh, makes sense. Uh, is for nine ninety nine says, Hello, boys, this is your weekly is. Reminder to take care of yourselves. Tell Archie I love him oh so very much. Ah, uh, yes, and the just, P.O. Box. Yes, and just for consistency, I'm gently reminding Mattis about the P.O. Box. It's a bit now. Yeah, well, uh, hopefully he'll remember. 
Uh, imaginary for $10. Thank you very much. If says, you like send me texts during the day, I'll remember. I'll do my best to, yeah. What are your financial goals wish list for the channel? Your content is top oh, tier. Thank you for thank sharing you. it with us. Uh, uh, we should maybe just sit down and do a wish list. Yeah. Yeah, wish list would be good. Our goal essentially is just to be able to get to a point where this is like feasible enough to be consistent. Yeah. Uh, like a. But if production quality needs to go up for that, then production quality needs to go up for that. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I don't know. I'd say I. Uh, you know what? I will. I will get that put together. Yeah. And then we can uh, just put it in the description of all the videos. Okay. Um. So check back. Uh, if not tomorrow, then probably Saturday I can get mm. those up. Uh, next is uh, Nathaniel McCoy for $5 says, I just got back from working around Mount Shasta. Glad I didn't do too much hiking around there. Yeah, valid. <laughs> um, uh, the Great JB for $5 uh, says, Appalachian slash Europe lore is very similar in these places were connected on Pangea. Thoughts. Also, what kind of spooks can I find in, uh, I assume that's FL, Florida, besides skunk apes? Could you repeat the question? Yes. Um, thoughts on the similarities between Appalachian or Appalachian and European lore, considering it's very similar, and they were once connected on Pangea. Thoughts there. And then, uh, in terms of Florida, what kind of spooks can he find besides skunk apes? So, to my understanding, um, Pangea broke up into something similar to what we currently have long before humans ever walked the Earth. Yes. Uh, millions and millions, millions of Millions of years ago. Yeah. So, I think that what we are seeing in terms of these convergent uh, creations of folklore is not necessarily uh, related all the way back to Pangea, but perhaps to before the Flood. Um, you know, there's the Meltwater Pulse 1B incident where sea levels rose 300 to 600 feet over a very rapid period of time, which would have buried, uh, any civilization built along the coastline. Mm. And, uh, basically every, um, almost every single culture on earth, mm -hmm. um, unless they are ones that truly sprung out of the mountains, mm -hmm. have a flood myth. Um, yeah. And that flood myth tends to be connected in some way to some very violent event where uh, a group of troublemakers or a race of giants or a race of half-breed angel humans mm -hmm. are causing problems and get wiped out. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that if there's a place to look for where we are getting these monster stories, mm -hmm. it's whatever the hell we were dealing with 11,600 years ago. Makes sense. Um, I think that there was probably some offshoot species of humans, whether it was something that was half-bred between angels and humans, or whether it was, uh, you know, some other branch of our evolutionary tree. Mm -hmm. In any case, it seems to me that there was something back there, and over the ages it got, uh, you know, <sighs> mixed and matched into something... Mm -hmm. That is, you know, the Wendigo or the Ashwang or the Srigoi or the Nephilim or the Jotnar. Yeah. You know, and that we all have these similar mysteries and myths because we all experienced something like it deep, deep, deep in our genetic memory. Nice. 
Uh, the next one is from Is for one ninety nine, simply saying, "Femboy Hooters win Ducey, That is all. So, nice. All right. Uh, next we have all the way down here. Ten Emmy ten for five dollars says, "Tech Aiden, talk about radiation. Most fun fact that you know. Your favorite fact and a totally random fact." Um. Well, there's one that I can think of. It's not. I can't remember the actual name of it. But uh, I, I remember I was watching a video about it relatively recently. That blue glow within a reactor that is a water reactor, uh, that is not, like, actual radiation. Um, you're, like, it's totally safe. But it, it it's a result of it. Uh, valid. Done. Done. Um, you know, it's... it's it, uh, what is the effect? So I actually can, like, say what it is. Hang on. Uh, I'm gonna go refill my water while you talk about radiation. Wonderful. Would you like a refill of anything? Uh, I'm good for now. Thank you, though. All right. Uh, it's called the Cherenkov effect, or uh, Cherenkov radiation, essentially. Uh, it's when you have an underwater nuclear reactor, uh, and it's essentially ah, right. Um, so it's compared in this little like Google thing to. Uh, the sonic boom when faster than sound movement occurs. And what it's doing is it's essentially, uh, it, you know, light is a form of radiation. Um, the visible spectrum of light and just like on that whole spectrum in general, that is radiation. It's electromagnetic radiation. What is happening there is that the, uh, the water is slowing down the particles. And keep in mind, I'm just going off of memory here. This is not me reading now at this point. But... Uh, you know, it's some of those light particles or like specific types of radioactive, not radioactive, but radiating particles from the reactor that are being slowed down by the water, and thus you get that blue glow. I think it's really cool. It's different than the ionizing radiation from, you know, the cesium powder or from out of the Chernobyl reactor. Um, another one I like uh, for people who have not seen the show Chernobyl or just generally don't know that much about what happened. Um, interesting part of why the reactor blew up is they essentially did everything wrong. Uh, they were supposed to schedule a safety test. Ironically, that's what they were doing, a safety test, even though uh, they had to push back the test, which left the reactor to be on lower power than it should have been before a test, creating xenon in the reactor chamber, which kills the uh, reaction. And... Thus, when they were trying to lower the power even a bit more to do the safety test, uh, the xenon killed the reaction completely. Also, it was a, an RBMK reactor is a positive void coefficient, which is it relies on water. Um, and when water, essentially water would speed up the reaction, steam would slow it down. Uh, and steam obviously is generated by water boiling. So strike that, reverse it. Water slowed down the reaction, steam sped up. I can't remember. One of those two. Anyway, um, what happened was is that the reactor went down to zero. And so the man who was in the control room called uh, uh, Dyatlov, Anatoly Dyatlov, I believe. Uh, wow, it's a lot coming back from memory here. Um, he forced the people who had very little experience because it was the night shift crew. They were not told that there was a safety test going on. All this happened. He demanded that they restart the reactor, essentially. That caused a spike. 
because as the uh, the control rods were lifted out, uh, almost all of them were lifted out. The, the reaction started going. All of the yeah yeah yeah. So it was yes. So water slows it down. Steam speeds it up because when all of the control rods were taken out, the reaction started to go up immediately. All of the water in the reactor was turned to steam. So and then the xenon boiled off immediately. So that started spiking the reactor. It all just started going faster and faster and faster. And then the last thing that really caused the problem was uh, they were the reason why they did all of this was because they believed that they had a ended all safety switch called the AZ5 button, which looks like an A of three dash five. I don't know why the three is called Z, but that's fine. Anyway, so they were under the impression that that AZ5 button would be able to stop whatever problem might occur. And what the AZ5 button did was it would begin putting all of the control rods, which were made of uh, boron, which would slow down the reaction, back into the um, back into the reactor to stop any reaction that was happening. The problem is, is that in in, in the show they describe it as the uh, the control rod tips which in actuality is not a great uh, way to describe it because the way the tips are and the way the control rods are in general, it's like, let's say that this is the boron control rod, right? Well, there's a second half to it on the bottom that's graphite. And I may or may not have mentioned this before, but the graphite was in the reactor to speed up the reaction. And so when it was pulled all the way out, it was essentially like this was the reactor, they were all the way out. So then the first thing to go back into the reactor was the graphite part of the rods, which then immediately sped up the reaction even further. And it sped it up so much that it caused any water that was left in there to immediately flash boil to steam beyond you know, what was already happening. Uh, that broke some of those control rod channels, so they couldn't insert anymore. So it was just the graphite, the boron couldn't get in, and the reaction just kept speeding and speeding and speeding up. So essentially, that safety button, which they believed would save them, ended up being a detonator. Inevitably, the pressure got so high, like from the steam building up, that it blew the lid off of the reactor. And then within the reactor, there was uh, hydrogen and superheated graphite, which then inevitably exploded, uh, causing a massive explosion, destroying reactor building four and releasing all of the radiation into the atmosphere, uh, and then the graphite was specifically, you know, the meltdown had all of the uranium melting down essentially into sub-basements. The real biggest problem was the graphite that was within the reactor that was extremely radioactive that had been blown all over roofs and things like that in, on the building. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a very condensed and not fantastic description of the explosion at Chernobyl in April of 1986. Uh, I really suggest that you either... Check out, uh, well, check out the show for one, because they do a fantastic job of depicting that. And it's just, as somebody who does film for a living, uh, it was one of the best things I've ever watched. I binge-watched the first three episodes. It's a mini-series. I believe it's five or six in total. I think it's five. Uh, and binged the first three on a Sunday night with my roommate. Could not sleep that night. I literally couldn't. It, I, I Not much scares me, but I was like, I'm going to die of radiation for no reason. It was just very scary because it was a very well done show. Really shows you how impactful the event was and how scary things like that can be. Um, 
But yeah, and then also check out Kyle Hill's channel. He's got some really interesting stuff. On Kyle Hill is very cool. Yeah, he's got some interesting th- stuff on things in general, but specifically his Half-Life series is a lot more of a serious uh, series. Really good. They uh, cover the explosion of Bikini Atoll, uh, the thing I mentioned earlier about the cesium powder, Chernobyl, a lot of different things. Uh, but yeah, give it a rip. Uh, what I was just doing was math. Okay. Um, on the month, we're up to 655. So you guys need uh, $95 to get Aiden into TikTok leggings. I just thought you should know. Sweet. I like that. just thought you should know. Uh, let's go back. Uh, so the next one is from Steve Duranum. Yes, for $5. It says, since Kevin lost last week, John Wick versus a Wendy boy who killed Wick's dog, but he gets prep time. The, the Wendigo gets prep time? No, no. John Wick gets prep time. John Wick the, gets prep time. After the Wendy boy killed his dog. Honestly... I'm going to take John Wick. Yeah. Because John Wick's going to speak to somebody who's going to tell him how you actually have to do this. Yep. And he's going to properly arm himself. Yep. Uh, probably going to set some traps. Yep. Uh, I'd hands down John Wick. Yeah, easily John and, Wick. And especially if John Wick has a team. Yeah. Which I assume if he has prep time, he's going to grab a couple of people to help him out. Yeah. So I, I would take John Wick. Uh, next is from Jive for five dollars. Says I'm Thanks, applying Jeff. to my dream job, or I'm applying to my dream college program soon. And if I get, uh, we'll have a great job after. But if I don't get it, I'm going to have to hunt Wendy's. So it's a win-win. Well, I'm glad you look at it that way. Fair enough. As long as it's a win-win. And then Jive said for two dollars in all caps. If you eat forty k bananas, the radiation will kill you. Just as a clarification, that's not a total of forty k bananas. That's forty thousand bananas at once. Uh, yes. Yes. Which would be rather difficult. It, yes. Yes, quite, quite. And then next was from 10me10 for $5 saying, Thank you, Tech Aiden. I'm going to put a request for Radiation Blurb every week. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to be start watching more uh, radiation Kyle videos <laughs> on a consistent basis. So thank you for giving me an excuse to dive even further into my nerd dumb. Uh, I actually I'll was like... into your nerds. I was actually considering printing out the 126-page manual mm-hmm. for uh, the uh, construction, engineering, operation, and just general understanding of the, uh, I believe it's the GWR4 uh, style G. It's like the GE, uh, I think it's BWR, what is it? Hang on, let's, let me check. The GE BWR4 reactor. Uh, yes, it's the GE BWR and then dash four because it's the fourth gen reactor, which is at the Limerick power station, uh, which is just northwest of Phoenixville. It's what powers the, uh, the, the essentially southeastern Pennsylvania area. A lot of people don't really know that, um, that we're powered by nuclear power, but yeah. I think there are a couple of coal ones nearby that the, help. The Crombie one was decommissioned. Was it? Yeah, that, that was, that's been out long, long ago. Uh, I think it's mostly just the nuclear one because it's been active since the 80s. Yeah, makes um, But yeah, really cool stuff and I just, you know, it'd be cool to uh, cool to look into it. it. I've looked into it previously and it's interesting, but it's a very... Yes, give me daily reminders for the P.O. box until I actually open the P.O. box. Uh, pineapple tech aid and will understand, don't ask. You're right, I do understand. Pineapple. Anyway, Nathaniel uh, McCoy just gave us $20. Thanks. Much appreciated. If you want to say something along with that, feel free. If not, no worries. Uh, could a Wendigo survive a nuke? Serious question. I'm going to say no, no considering fire. Just fire. Yeah. 
also, I feel like, um, uh, please talk about the one really skilled hunter guy in Alaska. I'm not sure who that is. Uh, Barchlier? I don't know. Is that who you mean? They didn't mention a name. If you meant Barchlier, we did we did address him earlier in the, uh, the show. Fair enough. That was UConn. Um... Uh, someone said, is the implication that a Bigfoot is only powerful when defending someone else? No. The Wendigo is sounding more and more like Godzilla, but smaller and ape form. It also doesn't breathe nuclear. Yeah, death. what a shame. No, no, I think we're, I think it's for the best. Uh, I think it's probably for the best. Uh, <laughs> Godzilla's <laughs> pretty say anything else? Direct nuke will cook it, bet, but don't pull off your phone. Uh, can Wendigo be a regular? Uh, up to him. Yeah, we, we I, I will let you guys in on something that I think we've now confirmed. We are going to be doing a uh, theology podcast with Wendigo. Wendigoon. Wendigoon. Um, probably going to be once a month for that, but uh, that seems to be the plan. So Wendigoon will, in fact, be a regular guest, but it will be on a very specific subject. Cool. Um, so you're going to get to hear... To libertarians talk about Christianity. Um, if that's th- something that you uh, suits your fancy. Yeah. Uh, yes, the King of Prussia Mall is the one um, that we're going to be doing that at. Make a trip where? Uh, Pennsylvania, I assume. Okay, my dad's going to leave the state. Oh, yeah, interesting. That is like where we live. So, yeah. Just take over the King of Prussia Mall. Just be there. We might as well. Yeah. All the, right. The Lord Lodge inhabits the King of Prussia Mall. Mm-hmm. What, what would happen to a Wendigo if it was around a nuke? Like, not close enough to fry instantly, but heavy dose of radiation? Um, I mean, radiation... Kills like it literally just destroys the the way radiation. You gotta remember, a Wendigo does have living cells. You yeah, know? the way the way radiation like kills you is because it is like, you know, gamma and X-ray radiation and and a lot of you know just anything that you know is high uh, or small wavelength, very high energy, um, can go through pretty much anything, and it goes through with such force that when it fires through you, it literally knocks into your DNA, and destroys it like let's say you've got a double helix floating around here and like a piece of gamma radiation shoots through it like you know the, the, the whole Gattaca thing or whatever like it'll knock out a T or knock out an A or whatever I can't remember the full names of those things mm-hmm. but it, like and this when your body goes to read the genetic code to perform an action similar to how if you went into a program and you went into the binary, and you started taking out like a one or a zero in just random places. The program just wouldn't work. You know, it may it may initially get faulty, but or it may work and just like have certain problems depending on what type of program it is and what part of the code you're destroying. But you know, if you take out enough ones and zeros, the program will just stop functioning. And it's very similar to the human body. Like we and there are there are there is a definitive limit on the human body with how much radiation exposure we can get to before it is problematic and it's one of those things where it's not like it's not like um what's a good example 
it's not like working out where if you're going, you know, let's say you're working for hypertrophy and you're working on like time under tension and you're like, you know, tearing your muscle fibers and whatnot. And then you let that part of your body rest and then you come back a few days later and that muscle has healed itself and is now a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger. It's not like that. Once radiation has affected you, that doesn't heal over time. So the amount of radiation that you're exposed to, it will continuously, increasingly affect you. And inevitably, you know, normally we die of natural causes before we ever normally experience enough radiation to kill us. Um, but, like, for example, the people who had to clean up Chernobyl, specifically the roof, because they couldn't get a piece of technology up there that could handle the radiation, because uh, it, it would literally destroy metal and things like that. It'll make it brittle and it'll fall apart. Uh, the men who went up there, there were thousands of them, they had 90 seconds on the roof in full, like, protective gear to go with shovels, pick up these pieces of graphite and throw it over the reactor. And once that 90 seconds was up, they had hit their lifetime limit of radiation. It, that's how bad it was. So, like, they, they were okay, generally, um, but they literally could not experience any more radiation or they were going to start to essentially de de decay. Um, anyway, you were going to say something? I was just going to say that it's important to note that Wendigos are not undead. Oh, yeah. Creatures. Well, that's, that's fair. Uh, so, just to kind of piggyback off of that question, like, radiation could eventually kill one, but yeah, they're just, they're not undead. Yeah. That was my, my two cents on it. Uh, Jive for $2 says Aiden M versus Aiden T boxing match. Make it happen. That's a he's bad gonna, idea. He's going to win. I mean, we'll do it. I'd rather not. I like Here. my face. $250 goal for next month. No. Why? I'm doing that for $250. I don't want to get my ass beat for $250. I won't kill you. He's got the weight. He's got the reach. He's got the experience. I'm not going to win. I'd rather not. I will not. use one arm. I'd rather not. What if it's on our knees? I'd rather not. All right. <laughs> Your loss. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm like... How much was that for? Uh, for $2. Yeah, no, I mean, he's literally boxed people. He boxed a, as someone said, not C before. Um, that's a fun story you could tell. Yeah, I'll give that in a second. Um, but, yeah, no, he, he has the reach. He has the weight. Uh, he ha I don't even think we're even in the what same weight class. Like? No, I'm 50 pounds heavier than you. How, 15? 50. 50. How much do you weigh now? 195. I'm 165 right now. Oh, okay. So yeah, but I'm trying to I'm trying to lose weight, but still, uh, wrestling I would be more inclined to wrestling match. Yeah, I could do that. Wrestling match for 250. That's kind of low for a wrestling match. Wrestling match for 500. All right, yeah, we'll do that. Um, that's for next month. Uh, yeah, because I just don't. If I'm gonna get into any martial art, it'll be jujitsu. Uh, you know, I just, I'm fully aware of the fact that the striking arts are not my forte, mainly just because of my size. I'm only 5'6". My reach is not, you know, not something I can do. Uh, I've literally had martial artists tell me, they were like, you know, it's not even worth trying to, like, they, they said it was like, for, in terms of hypothetical example, um, if you were ever in a, a, you know, bar brawl or whatever, uh, you'd be screwed if it was punches. But and I have people said have people say this to me. It's like, but because of your stature and the way you are, like mm -hmm. even within your size, mm -hmm. um, if you like stayed close and you like somebody said to me once actually, they were like, because of your strength to size ratio ratio and the way your body's built, you would do horribly in a striking contest. But once you go to the ground, you'd be unstoppable. 
And I was like kind of, you know, I was pleased by that. But I also have no context to back that up. That was just somebody who had experience with martial arts claiming that was a point. Um, so I've actually looked into doing jiu-jitsu. I was thinking about getting into it. I just haven't had the time. Because literally every weeknight now I'm doing something online. And then during the day I have actual work. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. I'm also extremely out of shape right now. So I still think you're probably going to win the wrestling match. You act like I'm in shape. Yeah, well, I'm, you know. Um, Imaginary for $10 says, Can you do a video on American folk magic like Appalachian folk magic or Brockery? Brockery? Pennsylvania Dutch powwow. I don't see why not. Sure. Yeah, I'll add it to the list. Yeah, uh, what was? What exactly was it? Uh, it was American Appalachian folk magic or... Yeah, American folk magic, Appalachian folk magic, Brockery, I guess that's what it is, uh, slash Pennsylvania Dutch powwow. I can't imagine it would be too hard to find Pennsylvania Dutch stuff around here. Yeah, no, not, not hard at all. Uh, Anything else? Anything? Wait, uh, what, what was that last one for? Ten. Ten? Yeah. Uh, okay. The next one is ten as well. It is currently negative ten degrees where I live with a wind chill of negative 35. My question is, how would a creature as thin as a gaunt and gaunt uh, like a wendigo survive in these temps? I live in northern, I believe that's Minnesota. Uh, yeah, the answer in folklore is pure hatred and, and lust yeah. and hunger and anger. Um, they're essentially protected from the elements by their, uh, wish to consume human flesh. Um, but I mean, I guess another answer would be that like, uh, I mean, they're cursed, so it doesn't, just because it doesn't kill them doesn't mean they're not feeling it. Yeah. Um, no, you gotta remember it's eternal torture is the idea here. By the way, for anyone who still has super chat questions, um, we are 46 away from getting Aiden into the TikTok leggings. Oh, jeez. Um, I bet they're going to be saying. really comfortable. They're probably going to be really comfortable. But just thought you should know. Yeah. Um, but if there are no more Super Chats, then I think it is about time to wrap up the yeah. show. It's almost 9 p.m. So uh, let's uh, let's give it five more minutes, and then at 9, we're going we to shut down. Oh. What a night. What a night indeed. What a night. Please answer Jive. He's desperate what he said. How far from a nuke would a pizza have to be to be cooked but not burnt? Please, it's important to I know. I have absolutely urgent. no idea how to answer that question. Not a clue. There's a lot There's a lot of uh, variables that would go into that in terms of, like, rating on the nuke, what the geography of the landscape is, what type of pizza you know, it's it's there's a lot that goes yeah. into that. As an Italian, I'm just gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. I give a I give you the veto. Uh, anyway, nonetheless, I think that's it for this evening. I think that's it. So, um, yeah. All right. Have a great have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, oh, I guess I can do a plug. So, uh, my roommate and I, for those who are not aware. 
uh, back in like October, he was like, we should just do a podcast that's literally just bullshit. Mm-hmm. And he was like, we'll call it nonsense time. It'll be great. And we never did anything with it. And then last week we were like, let's just do one. And we did one and it was fun. And then we did one again on that Friday. And then we did it again on Tuesday. And now we have a streaming schedule of Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, the days I'm not here. Problematically, that does conflict with my streaming schedule. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, Maybe I'll move mine to nine. That's a good plan. And you can do yours at eight. Ours is eight to ten. So. I'll move mine to ten. There you go. Because I don't want to poach your viewers. Um, but inevitably, if you want to see us just be morons, feel free to come check us out. Are, are uh, you guys gaming or just like sitting around being jackasses? Sitting around being jackasses. Ah, so like the gentleman was supposed to be. Kind of, yeah. Should we launch the gentleman? I don't know if I have time for the gentleman. <laughs> Uh, but literally, like, a, a segment last night was us, um, one the other day was seeing how many goldfish he could eat in a minute, was 30. Last night, there was a portion, we sometimes we'll do hardest trivia, sometimes we'll do GeoGuessr. One part last night was, uh, we had to try and make each other laugh while one person had a full mouth of water mm-hmm. and a trash can in front of him. I somehow won, even though he makes me laugh just by looking at me. Um, but yeah. For those in the chat who have been to Nonsense Time, I can confirm it's a great time. It's full of nonsense. Uh, Pat, tomorrow, uh, because of uh, the subscriber goals that we had, he is now having to wax. Uh, It was initially going to be his mustache, but we're going to change it to uh, his neck. Uh, He's going to have to wax the hairs on his neck because I like his mustache too much and I don't want to risk certain follicles not coming back because it's so luscious. And, uh, you know, he doesn't want to, you know, ch- risk that as well. So it's going to be that. Uh, it also uh, might, might do some chest hair as well. Just We're just going to be waxing him. His girlfriend's going to wax him. Um, but, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be great. Obviously, if you're here, you probably know about his TikTok. Check it out at yeah. uh, the Aiden Mattis. Uh, similar with, what, Instagram. Everything, all of my socials are the Aiden Mattis. Uh, including Twitch, where I do stream yes. on uh, Tuesday nights, usually from... Uh, 8 to midnight. Um, I mean, I guess I can move that to 10 to midnight, or I can just... I don't know. I don't know how many followers... I'll move it to 10 to midnight. Worst Um, case scenario, I mean... uh, Well, even if you started at 9, I can just... We can just raid you. True. Yeah. We'll work it out. Yeah, we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. All right. Um, And then, yes. so... uh, Also, you can find me at Director Aiden on anything... uh, you know, worth looking at. I just started doing some stuff on Twitch as well. I did like two streams. I'm nowhere near as consistent as he is. And I'll probably, sometimes when I'm streaming, it'll probably be with him. Other times it'll be me just messing around. I want to play Witcher. I want to get better at it. I have stream? Yeah, I haven't done it in ages. And I want to try that. And then sometimes I just practice. Use a controller. Yeah, I might have to. I also, I've been using it to motivate me to actually practice guitar a little bit more consistently. Um, I will try and learn Wagon Wheel because it's not that hard of a song. So we'll get there. All right. But anyway, that's it for this evening. That does it for this evening. Thank you very much for stopping by, everyone. Uh, I hope you all are excited for next week when we'll talk about people who actually were found and what they reported seeing. That will be Monday night uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern. Do we want to do a poll considering the reaction today? Do we want to do a poll of whether or not we want to switch it back to Sunday Stay at Monday or even do Thursday? I will do a poll on YouTube. Perfect. Yes. All right. So uh, check in the next, like, 20 minutes. I'm going to put a poll up on YouTube saying what what's the best day for us to do live. 
Um, John, so. I've also super chatted and said for us to do uh, a, mine, a Minecraft stream together. We should do so. that. All right. You so, uh, if there is nothing else for the evening, I'm Aiden Mattis, and thank you for stopping. Oh, wait. No. What? One more thing for the evening. Um, we do very much appreciate all of our viewers and their generosity, but one thing that we appreciate even more is consistency. So, uh, if anyone is willing, if you don't feel like you can do a super chat now and then, but if you can spare a dollar a month, our Patreon has a $1 tier, and uh, it would mean the world to us if people signed up for it. Um, the higher tiers come with some fun other stuff, but the $1 tier is all we can ask. Um, you know, we, we really appreciate everybody who helps out. Uh, Aiden can tell you it has been a journey of me trying to feel comfortable asking people to uh, yes. donate to the stream. But um, <laughs> it's but yeah, if even just a dollar a month, if all if all of our YouTube subscribers did a dollar a month, it would it, the, the show could be phenomenal so uh it, it could it would literally be a full-time thing most likely yeah with we'd probably hire people yeah um and yeah so it would be pretty exciting so but no pressure on any of that we really appreciate even those who just stick yeah. around and watch the show it's more just informing you to know that there is the option there is the option so should you to. yes so with that said 